Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. There are several pain syndromes, but trigeminal neuralgia may be the worst. Sudden stabbing electrical sensations radiating from the ear down the face are typical, leading some to call this syndrome the suicide disease because the pain can be so excruciating. We'll get a first-hand account of living with and overcoming trigeminal neuralgia from Pat Silverlasky, an author, film, and TV writer. Dr. Kenneth Casey then updates us on the real cause of this disabling syndrome, followed by a discussion of the most current medical and surgical treatments. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Pat Silverlasky is a member of the Hollywood film dynasty founded by Jesse L. Lasky, who produced the first feature film in Hollywood and co-founded Paramount Studios. She's here to share her journey from near disability to recovery from trigeminal neuralgia. Pat, welcome to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you, Paul. I'm uh, very glad to be of any help I can be. Pat, when we met several years ago in London, you were working on a book. What was the name of it? And and give us an overview of what it's all about. Oh, the book is called Letters from a Hollywood Mogul. And it's the story of my late father-in-law and my late husband, Jesse Lasky Jr. and Jesse Lasky Sr., of course. Um, It's uh, 450 letters, father to son, and it really tells the birth of Hollywood because Jesse Lasky Sr. made the first feature film in Hollywood called The Squall Man in 1913, and then he proceeded to co-found Paramount Studio. And Jesse Jr. wrote over 50 films, I wrote 10 with him, but I wasn't lucky enough to write the, uh, some of the, the eight that he wrote for Cecil B. DeMille. He wrote The Ten Commandments and Samson and Delilah and quite a few more. Take us through the series of symptoms that you were experiencing in the face before the diagnosis of trigeminal neuralgia. Yes. Uh, I called it a three-tongued serpent because it starts in the forehead uh, one one tongue goes into the eye, and the last one goes into the upper jaw. And it started just as a, a nerve pain that was nothing like migraine headaches, which I had had as a, uh, from the age of about 12 till in my 40s. And I looked it up in the, in the symptoms at the Mayo Clinic, and I thought, that's what I've got trigeminal neuralgia. Yeah, that sounds like trigeminal neuralgia. Tell us more about exactly how that three-tongued serpent felt. It began just as these sharp pains, but it began to grow as it got 
sharper, it began to feel like an electrode was being pushed through my head. Uh, it was, uh, they say that it is the most painful of all the pains. And I have to agree because eventually when I went to my doctor and, and he did say, yes, that's what you got. He then sent me to some specialist in London who gave me two drugs, gabapentin and carbamazepine, I think it's called. Yes, those are typical medical treatments for trigeminal neuralgia. How effective were they for you? These were not helping. It was getting so bad to the point where it would be lasting for hours. I was flat out being tortured and there was no relief. Pat, you mentioned earlier that the pain felt like electrodes going through your brain. Tell us where exactly you felt those sensations in your face. The pain starts in your forehead, going across your forehead, but it's all on the right side of the face. Then it goes down into your eye, so it feels like somebody's putting a a knife in your eye. And then it goes down into your upper jaw, and it makes all your teeth feel like you have to have them pulled out. Uh, then the electric shock start. When that starts, you've had it. it. It's beyond pain. It's torture. You really painted an accurate picture of what patients describe with trigeminal neuralgia. How long was each one of your attacks? The pains which throb through your face, I was getting every day, but the electrodes I might get two or three times a week. They could last maybe 10 minutes to 10 hours. By that time, I had found the neurosurgeon. We looked at all the various possible surgeries, and I was opting for the least invasive, which is injecting, uh, because I really didn't want someone cutting a hole in my head if they didn't have to. This one was injecting glycerol into the Merkel's Cave. Now, you're the one who would know exactly where that's located. Sure. Merkel's Cave is the area where the trigeminal nerve lies in front of the ear and above the jaw. It's understandable that you'd want a less invasive procedure like the glycerol injection. At the same time, that hole in the head that you're referring to is actually just a dime-sized incision that's called a microvascular decompression performed by neurosurgeons. How effective was the glycerol injection, and did you have any side effects? The the wonderful thing was that it stopped the pain. The bad part was that it makes the whole right side of my face, from the nose down to the chin, numb. And also, inside the mouth, it's numb, and even half your tongue and half your throat. Any other side effects? Suddenly, on the side of my face, in my, be, beside my ear, my right ear, I began to have the feeling of a, a butterfly or a bee with his wings flapping in my cheek. No doctor seemed to have any idea. I went to an acupuncturist here in California. <laughs> I now have a dull vibration but I don't have a bee flapping in my ear. That's wonderful news. This is Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return, Pat, I'd like to ask you specifically what that glycerol injection was like. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo 
and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. And we're back. Pat, describe the glycerol injection for us. Well, it's an operation, so you're put out completely uh, in hospital. Uh, when, when I recovered, I, I, was, I knew what he was going to do, and I was told to sit up straight for four hours so the glycerol would apparently stay where it was meant to be. That's all. I mean, I didn't feel anything of the operation because I was out. Some of my patients before getting treatment for a trigeminal neuralgia have told me that they have contemplated suicide because the pain can be so excruciating. Did you ever feel like ending your life? Yes, absolutely. And I I even told Peter, my husband, that if it comes back again, I'll have to find a tall building because I wouldn't be able to go through it again. I, I understand. Pat, when you get that sensation of the bee or the butterfly in the ear, how do you best control it? That's why I'm going back to the acupuncturist. There are pressure points where she puts her little pins, but she leaves little buttons on my ear, one on the top and bottom and one behind the ear. And when it starts to flutter, I press the pressure points and it stops. One final question. What's the most important bit of advice you can give us about trigeminal neuralgia? One of them is acupuncture for pain, which is not fully appreciated in either England or America. If a person gets this skin reaction to the drugs that a petroleum jelly therapeutic body lotion has actually kept my face fine again. Thank you, Pat. I hope some people will find that helpful. And thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, well, you're very welcome. I hope it helps them in some way. When we return, Dr. Ken Casey will give us an update on the real cause of this disabling syndrome, followed by a discussion of the most useful medical and surgical treatments. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. And we're back. Dr. Ken Casey is a Michigan neurosurgeon and chairman of the Facial Pain Association. He's chief of neurosurgery in the Oakwood Hospital System and clinical associate professor of neurosurgery at Michigan State University School of Medicine. Dr. Casey, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. I have a vivid memory of the first patient with trigeminal neuralgia that I saw as a pain fellow. She was sitting in bed talking to me and then suddenly stopped and violently shook as the searing pain ran from her ear down to her jaw. That's a very accurate description, in fact, especially if that, as you mentioned, it was a woman, I think, and uh, middle-aged women were the ones who sort of led our experience in that regard. We now know it it uh, can strike really as uh, any age group, predominantly in the middle ages, so fifth and sixth decades. Um, women slightly more than men, although worldwide statistics aren't as clear on that, but that's a classic presentation, sharp, 
paroxysmal episodic pain that just dominates their whole existence for the seconds or minutes that it's present. Ken, tell us, what puts us at risk for developing trigeminal neuralgia? If there's someone else in the family who's had face pain, unfortunately that increases your chance that you or a subsequent relative will, will have uh, facial pain. But beyond that, uh, you know, weight and blood pressure and the different things don't appear to be risk factors. At one point, we thought that high blood pressure might be related to it, but subsequent collection of data and a little more careful checking of statistics, as is often the case, uh, uh, was not shown to be the case. What's going on in the body, and specifically the nerve, to create this searing or horrific shooting pain? All the nerves in our body that are sensory nerves have the ability to transmit pain signals. Um, Certainly we can think of uh, situations such as bad back pain and leg pain where you continue to move and you continue to shoot pain down your leg almost like little spasms or if you bang your funny bone repeatedly you get the little spasms that's normal function in the case of this process something has gotten the nerve to begin to fire what's called autonomously or, or self-ignition and by some uh, experts in the field where the nerve simply fires off and unfortunately the signal is not one of light touch or a funny sensation of crawling, which are other nerve-type sensations, but instead pain, blinding, unyielding, terrible pain. Absolutely. That's exactly what my patients have felt. Ken, will you describe where the three branches of the trigeminal nerve are actually located in the face? Classically, if you think of roughly the top or middle of your eye, uh, including the the covering of the eye called the, the cornea, uh, that's division one all the way up to about an inch past your hairline and just to in front of your ear. The second division uh, is from that area on the eye to middle of the cheekbone, just below your cheekbone. And the third is the remainder of the face and the jaw. To the consternation of some physicians, uh, nothing behind the ear, although patients will refer to pain occurring back there. But that's why it's called the trigeminal or three-branch nerve because it has three different divisions on the face. And my sense is that the second division of the trigeminal nerve is the most affected. Uh, you're, you're correct. The second division, if, if you look at them in isolation, the first is the least likely. The second and third come in close to each other with the second leading as the most common one that starts. And very quickly, oftentimes, the second and the third act together. So, What's so distressing about this condition is that common activities like talking or chewing or brushing teeth or even just touching a cheek can evoke these electric light sensations that are debilitating. That's correct. And uh, that the, the trigger, which is uh, some of the uh, different things you mentioned, heat and cold and wind and brushing the teeth and so on, triggers are thought to be somewhat pathognomic for face pain, especially if one looks at it that if the person were to touch just their upper lip, they would get shooting pain not just in the cheek as your young lady at the start of the program, but also in the jaw and sometimes even extending above the head. Ken, how do you persuade patients to avoid these triggers that are part of everyday life? It's a constant dilemma for those patients. Many of them develop tricks, as it were. Uh, One of the most common ones I hear about for folks who are in that category that chewing or talking causes it that Obviously, they get up and they can't eat breakfast and they can't say good morning to their spouses. Some of them do things like wake up and immediately begin to chew gum, expecting the pain, but chewing it fast enough to sort of, as they put it, wear the nerve out enough that they can at least get their morning pills down and get their breakfast in them before uh, 
they can get off on their way. People who say the wind sets off my face, they wear scarves, but the people who say that the wind and shower set off my face, they, they can't figure out how to wash their face, put on their makeup, even kiss their spouse. You're right. The patients that I have with this condition definitely tell me that it, it compromises the quality of their life. When we come back, we'll talk about the controversy over the cause of trigeminal neuralgia. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. We're back speaking with Dr. Casey, a neurosurgeon, about the controversy over the real cause of trigeminal neuralgia. Dr. Casey, what are the schools of thought related to the source of trigeminal neuralgia? Well, there are three groups. Um, the least common is tumors or arteriovenous malformations, a blood vessel malformation, or some other structural thing on the nerve which can cause pain. And that's a small group. The second group is folks who have an infection in the nerve. And unfortunately, the folks who are uh, struck with HIV and some other viral type illnesses uh, can have an, an infection in the nerve. Again, the smallest group. So the largest group are the ones who have the vessel touching the nerve. And you're right. Um, I wouldn't say that the controversy is by any means over, but certainly a larger number of people in both the neurosurgical, neurology, and general face pain community feel that, that the success of the procedure and the findings on x-ray uh, appear to correlate enough for them to say, okay, that's a reasonable explanation, and I'm, I'm willing to use that one now as an operational Start point. Okay, but how about those patients who have vessels that are touching the nerve and yet don't have any pain? We think there's an additional genetic component, whether it involves the pain genes that we're aware of that make you know other people more susceptible to other types of pain, or whether it's something else. I don't have a good answer for you. So, Ken, in your experience, how best is this condition diagnosed today? If you just listen to the patient uh, as they tell the story to anyone who has looked this up online or even has been to a support group, as soon as the story comes out, you can almost see people's eyes saying, okay, I know what you got. And to the credit of the dental community, uh, in the last 20 years, they have come an enormous way to helping patients because obviously that pain in the face and cheek uh, lead people to think, okay, there's something wrong with my teeth. And so the dentist is one of the first people they often see. But now the dentists say very promptly when they hear the story, nope, sorry, I don't think there's anything wrong with your teeth, I'll check, but I really think you have trigeminal neuralgia and see a neurologist or someone else. Dr. Casey, let's delve into the best treatments for trigeminal neuralgia and how they've changed in time. What's changed is, is the aspect that chronic pain of any type, whether it's back pain or diabetic foot pain or whatever, appears to change the pain system. Of the medicines that are being utilized with any frequency, they're essentially coming from two or three patient or medicine families. One would be the anticonvulsant drugs, which we think in the case of pain, they slow the nerves activities down. So take one from that group and try it. Take one from the group of medicines that used to be called antidepressants or tricyclic agents, but we know that they also do a lot to change the way the brain thinks about pain. And if you fail one from each group, uh, it's probably time to consider surgery. So, Dr. Casey, if patients don't respond to medications, what are the best surgical options? Radiosurgery, balloon compression, 
glycerol and radiofrequency done as a so-called percutaneous or through the cheek procedure, and then the microvascular decompression or moving the vessel. Uh, microvascular decompression is probably the number one choice for both safety, efficacy, and durability, meaning pain relief for a longer period of time. Okay, so since microvascular decompression is probably the number one choice for treating this condition, tell us more specifically what that neurosurgical procedure is all about. With the microvascular decompression, though, a small incision, no bigger than your thumbnail, I'm sorry, a small hole in the head, but the incision just a little bit bigger than that, uh, is made behind the ear. little bone is taken off to expose that area of the brain where the nerve originates. And when you open this uh, area in the back of the head, you see the nerve, you see the blood vessel, and then you're attempting to simply separate the two and then put some felt in between. And, of course, there's acupuncture and chiropractic. We found that acupuncture works about 65% of the time to give the patient sustained relief, but uh, like many of those treatments, you need to go back and get some again. Uh, I was I started a study with a fellow about chiropractic. The study showed that probably as many as two-thirds of the patients report transient relief, sometimes as much as a week or 10 days, but for them, that's, that's a godsend. And what's very frightening is that trigeminal neuralgia has been called the suicide disease. In one lady's case, she fought her way through the insurance system and a month before the visit shot herself. My God, that's terrible. I mean, on a more positive note, though, Ken, if somebody has trigeminal neuralgia, what's important to keep in mind? You want to make sure the correct diagnosis so you get the correct first and second, third lines of treatment. And it means so much more to a patient to hear it from someone else who said, look, I sat in that chair, I wore those shoes that you have on today, and I suffered the pain you're suffering, and here's how it worked out for me. Dr. Casey, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and learn something about this. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo, and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Here's a question from Julia in Bozeman, Montana. Are there treatments for symptoms of Dequirvain's tendonitis and extensor pollicis longus, or EPL, tendonitis? Well, Julia, Dequirvain's tendonitis occurs when the tendons around the base of the thumb are irritated or constricted. In fact, it occurs from inflammation and narrowing of the sheath surrounding the EPL tendon. This causes pain and tenderness along the thumb side of the wrist, often noticeable when making a fist, grasping or gripping things, or when turning the wrist. Splints can be used to rest the thumb and wrist. Anti-inflammatory medicines by mouth are used. Avoiding activities that cause the pain and swelling are recommended. An injection of steroids into the tendon sheath may help reduce swelling and pain. And now we have a question from Kai in San Leandro, California. Dr. Christo, I have fibromyalgia, and it seems that whenever I complain about a pain, I'm quickly told is due to the fibromyalgia. I have neck, shoulder, bicep, elbow, arm, and hand pain, with my fingertips going numb mostly at night and when I wake up in the morning. Do I have a hand problem? Well, Kai, your symptoms sound like they're related to fibromyalgia. Patients do report tingling or numbness in their hands. I would try medications approved for fibromyalgia, like Lyrica, Cymbalta, or Civella. Conditions like carpal tunnel syndrome, ulnar tunnel syndrome, neck problems, tendon disorders, or arthritic conditions in the hand typically cause pain and or numbness in specific regions of the hand or fingers rather than numbness in the fingertips. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo 
and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. That's paulcristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.